We are uh, going to be in James chapter 4. So if you would open your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. We're going to be meditating on verse 15 this evening. James chapter 4, verse 15. While you're opening your Bibles, let me start us off with a word of prayer. Father God, we once again thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you for clearly revealing yourself to us. Father, help us to understand it. Pour your spirit upon us now and work in us. Give us spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might rightly apply your word, understand it, and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, our hand is out. Help us now, we pray. Amen. Well, we are, again, we're going to be in James 4.15. Why don't I read the passage? We'll start uh, in verse 13, and we'll read uh, that short paragraph there through 17. So let's read. 4.13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, we have this... Christian phrase that we often use, Lord willing, Lord willing. It's a classic Christian saying. I I use it. Many of you use it, right? Um, It does come from James 4.15. I might say something like, hey, Don, I'll see you at church on Wednesday night, Lord willing. Um, We tack this onto our sentences, sometimes by habit, but really to show to you that I'm admitting that I don't know if I'm really going to see you on Wednesday or not. That is in the Lord's hands, and he may have other plans, and I have to accept that. I might not make it to church on Wednesday. Don might not make it to church on Wednesday. We might not make it out of, out of this moment. Um, so we like to tack on Lord willing. But this sort of admission isn't natural. This is not what comes natural to us. Right? We, what does come natural to us is the belief that we are in control, that we are the pilots of our own ships. We're controlling our lives and that Jesus is at best a co-pilot, even if that. And so tonight we're going to see how James points out the arrogance of this error and what we can do to correct it. So first and foremost, uh, the main point, I think, of James 4.15 in my own words is that this is a command to put away prideful arrogance from our hearts so that our speech reflects the inward reality of a humble and needy heart. So that is our main point for tonight. And I've got three sub-points to fill out our time together. The first is that is the problem of prideful arrogance, the problem of prideful arrogance. 
This paragraph is really a, a contrast between two very different ways of thinking. Uh, in verse 15, James says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this. Instead. In, instead of what? Well, verse 15 is a corrective contrast to the prideful arrogance we find in verse, 15, in verse 13. If you still have your Bibles open, look there. Verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. See, it's here in in verse 13 that we find the problem of prideful arrogance. We like to think that we are in control. Now here in context, James is talking to businessmen who in the first century believed that they could control when they would go where they would go, what they would do when they got there, and what the result would be. To these folks, the outcome of their business ventures rested squarely on themselves. They trust in their skill, they trust in their competence, they trust in their plans. And I do think it's a subtle deception, because if I pulled you aside and we're just having a casual conversation and I said to you, I'm going to go to the Elgin Farmer Market on Friday. I'm going to sell some product. I'm going to churn, and I'm going to make some good money. Uh, Would you really pull me aside and say, Hey, Tim, that's really boastfully arrogant. That's evil, right? Because this is what James calls it in verse 16. It's boasting arrogance, and it is an evil. Now, that's the problem of pride, And we might be separated by 20 centuries of time and space, but there really is new, nothing new under the sun here. It is the same problem. We like to believe that we are in control over the cash flow that comes into our bank accounts. And James is saying, no, no, that's evil because it is the idolatry of self-worship. That's what makes this so ugly before the Lord. Now, we all have jobs to do, whether that's in the marketplace or in the home. And so this does apply to all of us. All of us are going to wake up tomorrow and get to work of some sort. So this is a life lesson for us all, that there is no presumptive arrogance in our work. There's no place for it. Your homeschooling and parental methods will never create a single convert. Your competence your education, your giftedness, your skill in planning, your faithful work ethic will never be the credit or cause to anyone or anything's success. Whether that's building a small business or working in corporate America or raising children in the home or even growing a church. God does give, the, he does give us giftedness and he does use them as a means. That's why he gave us gifts in the first place, but he certainly doesn't need them to accomplish his purposes. We see this all the time. The fool down the street, they have none of these things. They have none of the giftedness, and nevertheless, they seem to prosper all the time. And we certainly know the experience of having prepared and trained as much as possible, given our greatest effort, only to find failure in the end. Nothing turns out as we had expected. Yet the fool down the street seems to have everything that I've ever wanted. 
And so trusting in your gifts, this form of idolatry, is really a fool's endeavor. And this is true because of where James goes in verse 14. Look at verse 14. You don't know what tomorrow will bring, he says. Right? That's, he's, be, he's beginning to get corrective. And that leads us to point two, the cause of prideful arrogance. The cause of prideful arrogance. So keep your eye on verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? That's a big question. This is, when you're in your quiet time, you could read right past that and just keep going. I know verse 15 is coming. Lord willing, Lord willing, right? This is a big question. What is your life? Failure to soberly and honestly answer that question before the Lord is a huge contributor to prideful arrogance. And James, he's so kind, he answers the question for us. Look in verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's what you are. That's what I am. A mist. Vapor. A puff of smoke that drifts off and disappears, never to return, never to be seen again. Now, I want to hang on that meditation with you for just a moment. Think about a puff of smoke and and capture that image in your mind. See it twisting and churning in the air to the will of the air that's around it. And in seconds, it just vanishes from existence, never to be seen again. That puff of smoke has no control over its two seconds of life. The air is its master. It goes where the air wants it to go. It takes the form the air demands, and then that puff of smoke just fully dissipates into nothing when the air decides it's time. And James is saying this is a picture of your fragile life. It is wrapped in human weakness. That's what we are. We are nothing more than vapor, a helpless puff of smoke. So when James asks, what is your life? He is showing us that the problem of prideful arrogance is rooted in our refusal to acknowledge the condition of human weakness that we, you know, that we live inside of every day. That we're nothing more than a mist that exists for just this very short period of time. Then we vanish. And if you're lucky, you might be remembered for a generation, and at best, maybe two. And then no one in this room will be remembered evermore. You will be forgotten. No, Matt and I were talking just the other day. He's pulling out pictures of his father's, and he's seeing people in pictures, and he's like, I don't know who these people are. That's where you're heading. That's where I'm heading. We vanish. So when James asks, what is your life? The answer to the question is, you don't really know. You're just a puff of smoke. You don't know where you'll be. You don't know when you'll get there. You don't really know what you're going to do when you get there. And you certainly don't know what the outcome is going to be. What is your life? So where do we go from here? What do we, what do, we do with all of this? And that's, that's point number three. The correction to prideful arrogance. The correction to prideful arrogance. James goes to human weakness, right, in the correction. On the positive side, 
We have the Lord Jesus Christ who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right? Hebrews 1.3. He is the one that directs your steps. Not you. Not me. Not your elders. Not your best confidant. Certainly not ourselves. Right? It, is the G- it is the Lord Jesus Christ who does these things. It is his power who created all things by his word. And it is the rule of his steady hand that makes the universe a cosmos and not a chaos. So the correction is to put our trust in this God and his sovereign rule over our lives. And it is for this reason that James says in verse 15, instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And this just isn't a correction of speech, although it is. It's much more than that. We can't simply add Lord willing to the front of a sentence or, or to the end of the sentence and pat ourselves on the back for obeying Scripture. This is addressing a matter of the heart. right? This is where presumptive arrogance lives. It comes from the heart. It's not what comes out of the mouth of a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of his heart. right? This is what defiles a man. So James isn't rebuking the plan that the merchants are making. Right? He's not rebuking their... What he is rebuking is their attitude, that they think that they can control the outcome. So yes, we want to have a plan. Plan the plan, just don't plan the outcome. That belongs to the Lord, to the secret things of the Lord. Plans are good. Carrying out a plan is very good, but putting the outcome... In the hands of our God is best. In the word if, in in the verse, if the Lord wills is key. This is an operative word. It's up to God. I can't make my business grow. It depends on the Lord. I can't make my kids grow any more than I can make them into Christians. It, It depends on God. I can't make this church grow numerically or spiritually. I can't disciple anyone into growing. I have no power to do these things. No matter how much zeal I bear on my sleeve for any endeavor, no matter how gifted I am, no matter how hard I try, how hard I work, if the Lord doesn't decree it, then nothing changes. So, so what is in your heart? Right, I, I have this picture of head down, hand out, beating my chest, right? This is a beautiful picture of humility in the heart. I'm needy, Lord. My hand is out. I can't do this. I've got to have your help, right? This is a person who knows and understands how badly they are in need of the Lord's grace and his mercy and his help in their lives and everything they do. Does that describe you? Does that describe you? The scripture, the text also said, if the Lord wills, we will live. Live is also a very powerful word. Right? The Lord is sovereign over every breath you take and over every beat of your heart. If the Lord wills, you may go to such and such a town and on your way, you might get into a car crash and you might die. And that might be it for you. That's the point James is getting at. 
If the Lord wills, you might decide to go to such and such town and you might get there healthy and alive, but do you really know what you're going to do when you get there? And do you really know what the outcome is going to be? So James is telling us, you know, back to this question, what is your life? The truth is we don't know. We don't know. It's in the Lord's hands. We should feel it. And James is saying we should say it. But first, we've got to feel it before we can say it. So we've got to do the inside work um, you know, of, of really testing our hearts. What is the posture of your heart? Is it head down? Is it hand out? Are you needy? Every day, every day we have to deal with this sin in our lives. And if you're not, look, if you wake up every day, and this is something that, that you fail to, to acknowledge, if it's a battle you're not really even acknowledging, if you're not wrestling with your human weakness in the morning and your great need for God's help in your life, then self-worship is having its way with you, whether you realize it or not. And James is saying, wake up. Step outside of that cage for a minute. Put your needy hand out. Put it out. Because who knows what Christ will do. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and thank you for this instruction. Father, we do pray that you would cultivate in us humble hearts. We pray that you would be gentle in doing so. But, uh, Father, we do long to honor you by expressing our deep need for your mercy and for your grace in our lives. We need your help. Help us to grow in these ways to the glory and honor of Christ, in whose name we pray.